And as you're turning there, let me, let me pray for us this morning. Father God, we thank you this morning for your loving kindness upon us. Lord, we do praise your name uh, forevermore. We will praise your name forevermore. Those of us in Christ, Father, those who look to you for life, will spend the rest of eternity praising your name. So, Father, Lord, we just want to get a, a jump start on that here this morning. We thank you for uh, this church and all that you're doing in and through this people. Father, I pray now you would open our eyes to the text. Let us see Christ more clearly. Let us love one another more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in, in three weeks, uh, I will have been at this church for three years. Uh, I, I was going to make a joke about having hair when I started, but even then... <laughs> I did not have any hair, so, uh, but three weeks, most of you have been on this journey together with me, uh, together in the sanctuary and through life the last three years, but for those of you who have joined us along the way, let me give you a kind of a brief, brief background into kind of my experience, uh, not only in this church, but uh, the, the, the journey that God has had me on. Uh, so that you might understand, because right now we're in our series, right, of, of Calvary, Our Vision, right, in which we've, the last two weeks, and this week included, we're, we've been outlining what the vision of our church should be and is. But, but, but it's not just like I came up with this like four weeks ago and be like, you know what, let's do this. But rather, it's the fact that God has been orchestrating things in my life, things in your life, in our life together that has kind of drawn us to this place. And so our vision for the next seven years is this, that we would know and love Christ, that we would live in community and give glory to God in our calling. So a little bit of history, brief, brief history about me. I can trace my spiritual legacy through one, two, three, four, five churches, five churches. Um, about uh, 15 years or so ago, I went to a small Baptist church uh, for pizza and found Jesus. Went there for the youth group, heard the gospel. Uh, and there in that, 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 I was there in that church, Ohio Furnace Enterprise Baptist Church. You can look it up online. Uh, I was there for about two years, about 30 other brothers and sisters in Christ. And it was there that I, I really began to understand the scriptures for the first time in my uh, teenage, early, older teenage life. And there I got such a love for God's word and God's people uh, in that church. And then, and then the Lord, through his providential hand, led me to a church called Rubyville Community Church. It was a non-denominational church where I met my wife. Uh, and don't tell her, but I was actually there to, uh, because there was another girl that I was interested in. Uh, just, I'm just trying to be honest. This is a church. It's okay for us to be honest in this place. More so than anyway. I was there to see somebody else. Found Julie. And the rest is history. Just being honest. Went to one church for pizza. Found Jesus. Found Julie. Anyways, I was there for about five years. It was there that I, uh, during those years, I was in college uh, studying mathematics. Uh, I wanted to be a high school math teacher. I was there in that program for about three years, walked into my senior year of college and decided I did not want to be a high school math teacher. Number one, they didn't make enough money. Uh, number two, I'm not sure that I could actually deal with teenagers, uh, just given the, the way the Lord has wired me and the lack of patience that I have. Anyway, it was during these five years that I really began to build a theological foundation of how I approach the world, how I read the scriptures, what I see in the scriptures, and how that plays out in all of reality I was in that church and during that time. From there, uh, a year into being married, uh, my wife and I moved to Circleville, Ohio, uh, home of the Pumpkin Show. 
Uh, it's not a pumpkin festival. Please don't come at me. Uh, it is a pumpkin show. Uh, we were there for about four years in Circleville at a small church called Faith Baptist Church. It was a new church plant uh, that really emphasized and, and built into my life this idea of community. That like the, the, the Christian life was not meant to be lived in isolation from one another, but rather collective in the whole. There I met lifelong friends. Uh, Pastor Ben I still talk with every now and then. Uh, it's a great in- inspiration in my life of how I want a father. Just watching him and modeled after him. And of course, he was modeling it after Christ. Uh, but anyways, I was there for about four years. And then from there, the Lord moved my family and I down to South Drive Baptist Church in a suburb of Houston, Texas. Uh, and it was there that I learned how to barbecue. Uh, and it was there that after about a year and a half, uh, we, uh, arrived, uh, we, 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 we landed there. Um, and, and through that, I, I, I never said that I wanted to be a senior pastor. Like, you understand this, right? Uh, you, if you don't, you probably like, if you've been here with us, you probably know. Yeah, yeah. You can see that you didn't actually get any training for this uh, or actually even know what you're doing. That's fair. That's fair. But it was there in South Drive Baptist Church that uh, the Lord really began to put on uh, my heart and Julie's heart uh, the desire to move back to the Midwest here. Uh, after about a year and a half, I was ordained in that church. And it was then, uh, right after the ordination process, in the December of uh, 2019, if you can think back that far, uh, that the Lord and I really felt, so we did something super spiritual. Um, We took a map, and we're from southern Ohio, uh, Lucasville, Portsmouth area, uh, right before you get to Kentucky, if you take 23 directly south. Before you cross to Kentucky, that's my homeland. And so we did something really spiritual. We put a pin in that map on Google Maps, and we took about a six-hour radius and drew a circle around it and just began to pray over that area, that the Lord would open up doors, open up a way that we can move back closer to home. We knew we wanted to be in ministry. The Lord had put on our heart to look for smaller church, a pa- uh, to pastor, um, to stay part-time, things of this nature. Uh, and then in January of 2020, I-, I ended up here by the Lord's hand. Uh, we preached... Uh, called us back, preached again, uh, and then in uh, February, I think it was, the uh, deacons keep me honest here, I think it was late February. Uh, by the way, that's another thing. Uh, we emailed in December, and it took a while to actually get any response back. And so we're like, I don't maybe this church doesn't even exist. And so we were up here on Christmas break and actually drove by the place, ended up meeting, somehow I don't remember how we got connected with Bill, called him or something like that, said that, yes, they were still looking for a pastor. Uh, so we met them out there in the lobby uh, in the middle of winter without any of the heat on. Our kids are playing in the children's nursery. And we sat there with a handful of y'all and really just uh, was looking and seeking after the Lord to see if this is where he would call us and, and place us. Uh, so from there, uh, we got the call back that, that you guys uh, voted on me, not anonymously, which I'm still bitter about, but that's okay, uh, to come and be your pastor. And lo and behold, the Lord has a sense of humor uh, as we moved in March of 2020, which is when COVID began. And so I spent the, ne- the next four, uh, four months of uh, someone who didn't know how to do a, be a lead pastor, uh, figuring out how to be a lead pastor in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. It was phenomenal. The Lord really blessed us. But over the time here, my last three years, that's all, that's all, we're all going somewhere with this, by the way. Just hang with me. Is, is, is over, the, over the years of my time here, there's been things that I've struggled with. And is it okay if I be honest with you this morning? Okay, I got a couple. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, listen, I, I've struggled to know what to do with this ministry. Let me tell you why, especially in the early days. 
I had no visibility or access into how much money we had. I had no visibility or access into how things actually operated in a small church like this. I struggled to know what the church needed spiritually. Like, what are the needs of the congregation, Lord? The struggle of adjusting from city ministry to rural ministry. This came up in some of my preaching where uh, it just seemed like all of my illustrations continually made fun of people who lived in cornfields. To which I got some feedback from my wife that says, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. We actually love the cornfields here. Uh, so it was, a, it was an adjustment, right? I struggled. Within the first month of being the pastor here, I sat down and read about four or five years worth of member meeting minutes in an attempt to find out what's going on with this place. I don't know if you've looked at those member meeting minutes. It's, it wasn't much help. I wanted to find out what worked well, what hasn't worked well. But through those and through the own member meetings that I've sat in and led, two things have stood out to me about this place. One item that continually came up was this idea of lack of involvement. A, a, a lack of involvement in, uh, in coming to church programs. A lack of involvement in ministering to the community outside of our church. A lack of involvement from young people in helping with the affairs of the church. That was the first item. The second item was similar, but from both the member meetings I've read and the member meetings that I've been a part of since we've been here, the other item that's really stood out is that we're unsure of what type of ministries we as a church collectively want to have. There are a hundred different types of great ministries, great godly loving ministries that the church collectively could be a part of. And when any of these have been brought to the church body, there's this type of uncertainty around, do we want to do this? Yes, 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 we know we should, but, but can we? Who's going to run it? How are we going to do it? Uncertainty. And so as I've been praying and working and preaching over the last three years in this place, I've constantly been asking the Lord, what's next, Father? Where do we go from here? What area of the church ministry should we work on fixing or creating? God, we need a vision on what we should be doing here because it feels like we're kind of aimless and not quite sure what comes next. And so that's been my prayer. And I think God's answered that prayer because now I, I really no longer struggle with those, those things. I've, I've, I've grown to love corn. I've grown to love rural life. I've grown to love small church ministries. I have other questions that I'm wrestling and praying through. Don't, say I've got it all, don't hear me say I've got it all figured out. But it's, it's, it's out of these prayers that I've been seeking the Lord that, that he's kind of given me the vision for the next seven years. And that's know Christ, know and love Christ, live in community and give glory to God in our calling. So this morning, we've been, we've been walking through the last couple of weeks uh, on these separate parts. But this morning, we're going to dive into this last aspect, give glory to God in our calling. Let me first begin with some clarifying words about what I mean when I say calling. Because depending on your background, this word may or may not carry with it some connotations and baggage that I might not be intending. When I say that we will be a people who give glory to God in our calling, here's what I mean. That we will be a people who, whether we eat or drink, or whatever we do, we do all for the glory of God. Whatever we do in word or deed, we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We're the kind of people who are so rooted and grounded in Christ, and so glad that we are. That the simplest and most mundane tasks of life are an opportunity for us to worship. 
can give glory to our Father. But I also mean more than just whole life worship. I also mean we we are people that we understand that it is God who made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries for our dwelling place, that we should seek him, perhaps feel our way toward him and find him, because he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. So we are a people who understand that we didn't just happen to walk into this place. Right? Like, I didn't just give my entire church history story to you so you'd be like, I don't know what that has to do. No, no, it was, it was God ordaining and aligning all those churches, all those experiences that has led me to this place today. And the similar is true for your life. We didn't just walk in here by chance this morning. We're here because God put us here. So in our lives, we give glory to God in the everyday things, realizing that he is the one who has placed us where we are. And in that, we should find great gladness and contentment. But I also mean more than this of our vision of being a people who give glory to God in our calling. I also intend to mean that God has uniquely wired each of you. He has given us gifts by means of the Holy Spirit through certain spiritual gifts. Now let me pause here a minute because I'm really wanting you all to understand this. And there's a lot here. I knew this would actually be a part of a vision I would have to spend some time really uh, walking out for us this morning because I've talked to a couple people over the last few weeks about this vision, one of which was my wife who said, uh, uh, Pastor, what's my calling? What's my calling, Pastor? What do you mean by calling? And then the second was a pastor friend I was talking with about two weeks ago. He asked, uh, what do you mean by calling? It looks like no one ever questions no one loved Christ. We get that. No one really questions living community, although we, we, have, we struggle with actually implementation and practice thereof. But we all get to this idea of calling and be like, what do you mean, pastor? What do you mean by calling? You mean like an audible voice from God, giving a certain person a certain type of work or task? And so I knew I'd have to walk this out. Uh, we are the kind of people who give glory to God in everyday things, realizing that he is the one who has placed us where we are. And listen, he's made us the way we are and given us certain tasks. So with that, let's look at, uh, let's look at the text here. Well, Pat, what does this all sound good? What's the Bible say? I'm glad you asked. Look at uh, chapter 12, verse 1 with me. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul wants the Corinthian church to understand what he is about to say about these, this idea of spiritual gifts. Because he, knew, he knows that the way that they are thinking about them is quite jacked up. As a matter of fact, if you were to back up and read all of chapter 11, you would find that there Paul addresses the socioeconomic divisions in the church between the rich and the poor. And Paul says that you're not living as if you know the gospel, Corinthian church. He was, he was shocked. The way in which they were living and the fact that the church looked like the broader culture which surrounded them, which divided people along the lines of rich and poor, he knew that they were not acting in accordance with the gospel of grace that they had received. Corinthians chapter 1. They weren't living like they believed the gospel. And so after addressing all of that in chapter 11, he turns now to chapter 
12, where the Corinthian church uh, hasn't only been dividing based upon rich or poor, but there's this other idea of which they've kind of separated into groups on. This idea of spiritual status. The members of the church are kind of looking at one another and kind of, or kind of measuring each other up, gauging where they fall. Placing value judgments on one another based on performance, competence, and charisma. Some members of the church seem to have more impressive talents, more impressive skills, more impressive gifts than the others. And the Corinthians were obsessed with this idea of power and status, and it was causing them to overvalue some of the members' contributions and undervalue the contributions of others. And so it's in this context that Paul is looking to level the playing field to underscore the inherent equality of all the members of God's family and what they bring to the community. So look at, he says in verse 1, concerning these spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. He, he basically says, uh, no one in the Christian family can say Jesus is accursed. And no one can be in the Christian family without saying Jesus is Lord. You see, the level playing field is their acknowledgement of who Christ is. But look at verse 4 here with me. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now we need to talk about these spiritual gifts for a minute. In such a way that we don't actually lose our minds. Because there's lots of confusion in the church regarding spiritual gifts. And as, as, as I know, we're, we're all Baptists in the room, so if we were to err... We're going to err on the side of pretending that these things don't actually exist. Or if they do, they don't exist anymore. We make them of little significance, but in Paul's mind they seem to be of massive significance. You see, as Baptists, we, we like to believe in the Trinity and alone the, the theme of Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. As opposed to the Trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because we like order, we like decency, we, like anything, we, we, we can't stand anything that might say... Hey, the Lord told me to tell you, brother. Oftentimes we say, no, he didn't. Oh, no, he didn't. But this type of neat categorization of the working of the Father in the world isn't the way God actually works in the world. But rather, the Holy Spirit is right now, actively at work. He's convicting the world of sin in order to bring them to the feet of Christ. We tend to think that this is only true when the preacher is actually preaching. When the preacher's on the stage, then yeah, of course, Pastor, you said last week that we, we are changed by the preaching of God's word, and that's true. But we're also changed by more than the preached word of God. You see, God is at work, the Holy Spirit is at work in all things. The Holy Spirit sometimes speaks directly to our hearts. Let me give you a David's story. David's story from California. David's a friend of mine who, who grew up with a praying mother. Uh, but and he was he was in a Christian private school, uh, and later on in his uh, in his his time there, he ended up getting in trouble for some things that he didn't do, and he got kicked out of the school by no fault of his own. And that actually left a bad taste in his mouth, not only for the Christian school but all Christianity in general. As a matter of fact, he walked away from the faith, wanting nothing to do with God. He ended up in the party scene for a while before joining the military for a few years later. After coming home. And rejoining the party scene for a few more years, David got the bad news of cancer. And this was serious, stage four type cancer stuff. 
She remembers laying vividly in the hospital bed, cursing God, saying, I'd just rather be dead. His longtime girlfriend left him just with all the issues that was going on with his health. And he remembers laying there, cursing God and saying, I just want to die. Then he tells a story. That within minutes, it was, he heard a voice as clear as day saying, you're going to be okay. You're going to be well. And as he told this story, he tries, he, he, as he was telling me this story, he said, he said Matt, I, I looked around the room and there was no one in the room. But I heard it clear as day. You're, you're going to be okay. So he immediately tells the next nurse that comes in his office, he says, into the room there, he says, hey, I'm going to be okay. Now, this brother's in ICU stage four, almost ready to make his crossing. And he's telling the nurse, hey, uh, I heard a word. I'm going to be Okay, the nurses come in, the doctors come in. He tells them all, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be okay. It's going to be all right. He calls his mom and says, mom, I'm going to be okay. And she's like, what is he doing? And so they start treating him for like hallucinations. Well, David did get better. And David is currently cancer free. But, but more than that, Shortly after getting out of the hospital, he, he, he made his way into Resonant Church in San Francisco where he lives, not far from his home, and there he found the Lord, and the Lord saved him. But what is even more is that David is now a pastoral intern at that church where he's able to continually tell his story and of the goodness of, the God, of God in the midst of drug usage and partying and cancer. Now, I need to be honest. When I first heard David's story, I was like, nah, you, you didn't hear a voice. Come, come on, bro. Come on. You probably had too much medication that day. That was the first time I heard his story. I've heard his story now a couple other times as I've interacted with David. And I got to say, my mind had so categorized God and the Holy Spirit and his way of working in the world that I assumed that this story could not be true. Because I've been taught that God doesn't actually speak directly to people. If you want to hear God's voice, you, you read his word out loud, right? We've all heard that. But we've not been taught that God actually does work in mysterious ways. The Lord used David's story in my own life to show me that he is still at work in a way in the world that continually blows up our neat categorical ways of thinking. And listen, I'm glad he does. So if your gut instinct, when I start talking about these spiritual gifts, is to turn off and said, nah, God doesn't work like that, Pastor. I need you to read the text with me again. Look at verse 4. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So in verse 7, Paul is saying that we are each given the manifestation of the Spirit. And here Paul has in mind... What he began in verse 1, talking about spiritual gifts. So, so, so manifestation of the Spirit, right? He's saying that each of us has it, making God known to the world. That's what manifesting means to make known. And he's talking about like we all have these. We all have these spiritual gifts. D.A. Carson uh, says that, that spiritual gifts can also be translated as grace gifts. Spiritual gifts are not something on top of grace or better than grace, but they are manifestations of God's grace to his people. At their core, spiritual gifts are gifts. They are giving things. So, so these are gifts that God has given to his people. Now, here's what I don't mean. 
I don't mean we're getting off the bus in crazy town where we say, thus says the Lord, right? Like, like if we ever say, thus says the Lord, like the next words out of our mouths better be the scriptures because that's all that God has said. But there is another whole conversation to be had around uh, the gifts here that he's talking about. But if we say, uh, well, if his word does not say it, then how can I know that the Lord is actually moving in my heart? You see the difference? There's a whole other conversation to be had uh, about this passage and uh, what are considered the sign gifts of the church, things like speaking in tongues and what did that mean there? What does it mean now? But that's another sermon for another day. I'm not going there today. Maybe one day. It's not what I want to bring to our mind. But, but verse 6, look at verse 6. Here's the important part. It's the same God who empowers these gifts in everyone. God is the gift giver. And according to verse 7, each of us have them. And all these gifts are of different kinds. Did you notice how Paul built his argument here in these verses? Did you notice that he uses the reality of the Trinity and the diversity contained within the Godhead as the basis for his understanding that all of our gifts would be different too? Verse 4, it's the same spirit, but different gifts. And verse 5, is the same Lord Jesus, but different services. And verse 6, it's the same God, but different activities. This is a beautiful picture of how the church should be. Remember, Paul is trying to correct their thinking of how they're looking at one another and, and measuring up to one another and determining what type of Christians are better than others based upon the spiritual gifts they have been given. Paul's entire point in verse 4 through 6 is that the God they serve is both unified and diversified. Therefore, it makes sense that the church, which is being conformed into the image of Christ, would also have the same type of unity and diversity. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what Paul builds on. Look at verse 8. For to one is given the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Verse 8 through 10 is talking about all these specific different kinds of spiritual gifts which Paul says God has given to us. This isn't all of them, by the way. There's other accounts in the scriptures. But notice what he says in verse 11. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. And he gives to each one individually as he wills. You see, as God has wired you, a certain way. He's made you different. Moreover, he has given you by the Holy Spirit certain gifting that you would not otherwise have. He has willed it so that you would be the way you are, the way you think, the way you process information, the type of person that you are. He's willed it. This doesn't mean that we don't grow in sanctification, by the way. Warren Wearsby says, unity and diversity must be balanced by maturity. And that maturity comes with love, which, by the way, is the point of Romans, or, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It doesn't mean that we are just the way we are and we shouldn't grow and seek after gifts. In fact, in chapter 14, Paul says that you should pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts like, like he wants you to pray for them. Pray that you would grow in the grace of giving. Pray that you would grow in hospitality. Pray that you would grow in prayer. He wants you to pursue and grow in these gifts that he's giving you. Now look at verse 12. For just as the body is one 
and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. You see, Paul here is developing his point. He's developing his point in the sense that, of course you guys have different spiritual gifts. God himself is diverse. He's doing different things. And he says in verse 18, he has arranged the members in the body. Notice this. No one's left out here. Like, like when you read this text, you should read this text as if he's talking about you. Because he is. He, he says there in verse 18 uh, that he is the one who's arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. The language Paul is using here is steeped with intentionality, with purpose, with meaning. Again, nobody just walked in here this morning. God has given us spiritual giftings. The question then for us is, do we believe this to be true? I find that for a lot of us, we don't. In fact, we have the same problem the Corinthian church did. We tend to evaluate our giftings and callings by those of us who are on the platform. We hear our favorite preachers and pastors and think, I wish I could communicate like that. The Lord didn't give me that gift. I don't have a gift. Or we hear our favorite singers and bands and think, I wish I could sing like that. I wish I could play the instruments like that. And we do exactly what the Corinthian church did and say, God gave that person all the gifts. But look what Paul says next in the text. Look at verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. The point the Holy Spirit wants you to see in this text is that you and I are a part of the body. You and I are part of the body. And he says, it's ludicrous for a part of the body to tell another part of the body, I don't need you. He says, it's insane for a part of the body to say, I don't belong here. See, what Paul is saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying is that that you are needed. You do belong here. Look, Look right at me. Look right. I love you. You are needed. You do belong here. We need to rid ourselves of the idea that the church is held together by gifted preachers or blessed singers. It's absolutely untrue. Each of us in this room, every person in this room needs one another in this room. 
A few weeks ago, I missed the service. Ruth Ann came and made it a point to tell me the next week that I was here that Philip did uh, a short devotional on grace, even though uh, the, you know, the pastor wasn't here, and that you all hung out afterwards and loved on each other, talked with one another, talked about life with one another. Like each of us needs one another. When one of us suffer, all of us suffer. When one of us is honored, all of us rejoice. So let me land the plane here with some summary statements and practical takeaways. I told Don, Don missed the last few weeks, and uh, a few months ago, Don said, hey, Pastor, you should uh, give us some bullet points along the way so we know where we're going. I'm in a preaching class in school, and they said the same thing. And so two weeks ago when Don missed, I texted him. I said, hey, brother, you should have been here. It was great. I gave a roadmap. We preached a roadmap. It was very easy. Did the same thing last week. Comes back today, and I say, yeah, we're not doing that today. We're going into the text. Let me, let me land the plane here. Number one, God is diverse, and therefore the diversity in the church today is a direct reflection of him. You being here is not because of you. It's because of God. You being here is not because of you. It is because of God. Listen, you being you is not because of you, but because of God. This leads to us boasting in him and not in ourselves. This is what it means in our vision when we say we give glory to God in our calling. Number two, God has made us as individuals, not for the sake of being individualistic. Do you notice the theme throughout these verses which began in verse seven? God gave us these gifts we have for the common good. The eye sees so the rest of the body can know and see the goodness of the Lord. The ear hears so the rest of the body can enjoy the melody and the praise we sing to our God. The nose smells so the rest of the body can enjoy the aroma of Christ. The hands serve so the rest of the body might show Christ's love to a dying world. The feet walk so the rest of the body might move to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. Do you see this? God has not wired you simply so you can be you all by yourself. He's given you the gifts that you have. He's made you the way that you are. He's put you in the experiences. He's put you in for the common good. Our gifts are for one another. Number three, since God has gifted us all differently and our giftings are meant to serve the body, and not ourselves, then this means that to not use our giftings is robbing the church. One commentator says it like this. Here's the challenge. If Christians are not exercising and using their particular gifts, whatever they might be, for the common good, they are depriving the rest of the body. They are withholding. They are being stingy with their gifts. Every Christian has a responsibility to bless the rest of the community with his or her gift matrix or gift mix. Many tend to think, I can't bless anyone. But Paul says, of course you can, because to each has been given. I said in the beginning that one of the things I picked up on in the reading the members' meeting minutes was the fact that there, uh, for quite some time there's been uh, a lack of involvement with the church. Here's how you fix that. Here's how you know how to fix it. You each have your own giftings that perhaps others in this place share, but also maybe they don't. And this church will only grow into the beautiful, healthy church in Christ if we each put our hand to the work that God has assigned to us. 
We seem to lament the fact that we don't seem to have a, a, a youth ministry. My question is, which one of you has God gifted to lead youth ministry? Because according to this text, you're here. According to this text, he's given us all that we need right here, right now. We're children's ministry, neighborhood outreach ministry, caring for the poor ministry, caring for the abused ministry, a college ministry. And if this text is true, and it is, then God has gifted and wired you all to partake in this work. Number four, we know that our giftings are by doing life with one another. There's a great question that people often wrestle with when it comes to spiritual gifts, which is, I don't know what mine is, Pastor. What do I do? Tell me what to do. Matt Chandler says it like this. He says, figuring out your gifts is a community project. We know what our giftings are by doing life with one another. How many of you have ever met a preacher who says, well, pastor, well, you know, guys, the Lord's called me to preach. And he gets up to preach and he can't preach a lick. It's like, brother, you might feel called, but either you need to go get some training or perhaps God isn't the one calling you to this thing. Right? You, You learn it by doing it. You learn what your giftings are by doing life with one another. Like, I knew... I wasn't cut out to be a high school math teacher because when I finally got into the college classes where they would actually send you out to be in school with these obnoxious 16, 17, 18-year-olds, I realized this, <laughs> he ain't gifted me this way, y'all. You learn it by doing life together. Our calling is when we combine everyday tasks such as eating and drinking and doing it in such a way that God receives the glory, knowing that he has appointed, he has arranged our days, and he's given us certain gifts meant to build the body of Christ. Let me conclude where we began. Our vision is this, that we would be a place where we know and love Christ first and foremost, that we would be committed to living in community with one another, and that we would give glory to God in our calling. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we uh, try to enter into this conversation of spiritual giftings and not end up in loony land, but also really acknowledge the text that you have given us giftings, wirings, ways that we think about the world, which is beneficial for one another. I pray, Lord, that we would repent for anywhere where we have known our giftings and we have not entered into service of them. Lord, I pray that as we begin to do life more deeply, more lovingly here with one another, Father, Lord, that you would uh, highlight for us, that you would use so-and-so to tell uh, so-and-so, hey, I think you're really gifted at that. Father, I pray that your hand would be upon all of this. For far too long, the church has divided the secular and sacred, Father, and we we want to simply put uh, together what you have joined together, which is all of us as members are in one body. So, Father, Lord, let us love one another, that there be no division in your body. Let us serve one another, meeting the needs of one another, meeting the needs of this church congregation. May we not be aimless, but may we know where we're going. May we follow your spirit where it leads. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers, will you come? We're going to do enter into our communion.